Um, Mount Vesuvius is very mean to people. Correct. Yeah. Well, what happened to Mount Vesuvius? Vesuvius was very angry at them. Yeah, and it spit out a bunch of stuff. Like this. Yeah, and then what happened? <laughs> what happened to all the people in Pompeii when Vesuvius erupted? They died. They died. Do you want to see some of their bodies? Yeah. History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to, frankly, I want to know. Hello and welcome to Hilf. History, I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. Now, in August of 2022, my husband, Andrew Melby, and everyone, including me, calls him Melby, (laughs) and my four-year-old daughter, Beatrice, went on a 16-day trip through Italy. Oh, it was the first visit for all of us, and we had spectacular visits planned from Venice to Amalfi, but I had only one cannot miss on my list. Pompeii, the ancient city destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, and one of my all-time hilfs. I was so fucking excited to see it. And on the day we got there, it was over 98 degrees, but still packed, because it turned out it was the one day a month that it's free to the public. And it had been over 100 degrees almost every day that we had been in Italy. All of Europe was enduring an increasingly common record-setting summer. We had taken a train, then a taxi to get there. We had checked our two weeks worth of luggage in a temporary locker and then tried to explain to our daughter that this was not just a hot dust field full of broken buildings. (laughs) There were also dead people in there. (laughs) And you know, it was great. It was hot and sad and surreal and so great. And I always knew that I wanted to do an episode on Hilf of Pompeii. And when the prospect of me actually visiting the place arose, I knew I'd wait until I'd seen it in person to record it. Um, And by then, the guest for this episode was obvious. The guy who carried our kid on his shoulders in that heat, my husband, total dilf, Melby. (laughs) Now, at the time that we record this, we had been back from the trip for about five weeks. I still have my tan lines and a few euros in my purse. Thank you for joining us for the Hilf of Pompeii. Get ready to be blown away. (laughs) Here we are. We're back at the microphones together. And I'm just as uncomfortable as I was before. You look gorgeous. Let me just say that. I know it's a podcast. Nobody can see you. But you were like... The hottest guy ever. Jeez. And you're at your own kitchen table with me, mm-hmm. your loving wife. Mm-hmm. But you do, you do get nervous when we hit record. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Because I am thinking too much. I need to relax and just talk. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get naked? <laughs> or do you want me to get naked? There it okay, is. That's much better. I know how to calm you down, that's, sweetheart. Well, I don't know if that's calming me, but I don't know. Oh, well, and either way, you get nice and focused. <laughs> um, now, some of you listening, you know this guy. Not only do I mention him every once in a while, but he was my guest on episode five on Krampus mm-hmm. last year. You were excellent. It was a record-breaking episode. But it wasn't the best. Well, we don't, uh, you know, I like to think of my episodes as like my children. It's you not only really have about, one. I only ever will love one. And it was the first one. And the rest are just kind of flunkies. 
Got it. And you were number five, which is pretty good. Pretty up there. Um, but uh, if you are meeting him for the first time, he is Andrew Melby, my husband. He is uh, originally from Minnesota. His job is at Netflix. He's got a cool-ass job at Netflix. He rides a Harley. He likes to camp. He's got a sexy beard. He makes beer. He grows dope. He's not above a tiara and a glitter party. I mean, this guy's fucking... I feel like I know you too well to introduce you. Like, I yeah. wouldn't... Like, I don't... How, how do you... When you meet someone new, how do you introduce yourself? I, I'm, honestly, it's like the this is like the worst thing in the world for me. I know you hate this stuff. You hate small talk. And I say, "Hey, it. I'm Melby. How you doing?" And then if they want to know more, they can ask. I'm not I'm not an open book by nature, but okay. I'm happy. But I'm very I think I'm very personable and you, easy to chat with. But I just uh, these hypotheticals just like freeze me up. Yeah, that's okay. You know why? Because that's why we're a good we're a good mix. Because I never shut the fuck up. Is that why, do you think you were attracted to me because you, you saw a future in which you'd never have to talk again? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. I mean, I think when we walk into a party, I know who's like sort of leading the conversation. I wouldn't say I'm terribly socially awkward, but I wouldn't, I don't not necessarily find myself comfortable all the time. And, and so yet, having and yet someone... the people who know you well will describe you as one of the funniest guys they know. Sure. Sure. And it's, it's a great compliment. But I think in like a social situation, I, I'm, you know, outside of professional, it's nice when someone else is leading, I mm-hmm. guess, you know. You're a great listener. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't you... quiz you, but you do seem to retain some of the things that I say. Despite my educational background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have a beautiful educational background and very little debt. That's true. In your educational background. That's true. Um, listen, we, uh, as I've already told my listeners, just back. I mean, we're, we're, we're barely, we're fresh off the trail. We still got some of our sand in our shoes from the Amalfi Coast from our trip to Italy. Mm-hmm. And when we went, you and me and Beatrice, to Pompeii on that hot-ass day, I feel like we went in with kind of the same level of knowledge on the place. Like, I had gotten my book. But I feel like we both kind of knew the the brochure summary, right? I mean, you definitely knew more than me, despite having read. I I sort of just assumed, I had thought that they were covered in lava. Yeah. And that's, I think, I don't think that's a terribly uncommon misconception. No. That they were just covered in lava and... That's not the case. No, a volcano erupted and a video, uh, you know, an entire village was destroyed. I That's mean, I looked at where Vesuvius stuff. was in relation to Pompeii and I thought, boy, that lava has to go pretty far. Yeah, that must and have been. Must have been a lot of it. Must it have been, been a lot of it. an exciting day. And it was yeah. like, oh no, dum-dum, that's not, that's not how it worked. Yeah. Uh, and then it made it worse in some ways. Yeah. Because I lava think. just burns you up. Yeah. That's, we've mean, seen Terminator too. You, yeah. you, you give a thumbs up. And then it's done. Call it a day. But this like slow asphyxiation of ash. ash. Ooh, well, and you know. it, there's worse ways to go you know, than asphyxiation. Checks, checks notes. Yeah. Well, I remember having questions, and I remember you asking me questions, and I remember hearing questions, none of which I could answer because I didn't know, and it was too hot to fucking find out out there. I mean, do you remember how hot it felt? I mean... It was that, like, people were scuttling and sort of jockeying to just get, like, a corner of shade from, like, a flagpole, is what (laughs) I remember. From an aerial view, it would look like rodents scattering from a hawk. No one was out in the open. It was just, like, 
to the point where your brain starts limiting its functions in order to preserve. And I don't mean that like dramatically. I mean, like just sort of it was checking in and it was like, oh, it's 105 degrees and humid. We're not going to language is secondary right now. And um, you definitely started just sort of like, yeah, again, we weren't dying. No, it was like the second worst day at Pompeii. It was ironic. It was pretty bad, though. It was funny to walk around and just be like, oh, my God, it's so hot. I mean, I could literally die. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like the ghosts of Pompeii are like, eat a dick. (laughs) You don't know shit. And I remember like I couldn't I didn't have the wherewithal to like look anything up. And they also didn't have out in the city, gratefully, huge kiosks or like things that are going to explain them to you really easily. So I tried to make a list of some of the questions I had walking around the site that I was like, girl, I I wish I knew this now. And I got to look it up. Um, When did they uncover this place? We know that Vesuvius blew in 79 AD. But when did they go? Oh, this is down here. Were there survivors eyewitnesses? Because I was like trying to look around like, boy, I mean, what was it like? How long did it take for like from the time you saw the ash cloud to it hitting the town? And were there some people that could like describe what that was like? And then how far did the damage go? Like Naples is obviously totally fine, but like it's not like they were covered in a little bit of ash. It didn't get that far. So how far did it go? And then we didn't know. And I couldn't look it up. But then you may recall that the next couple days as I'm getting through my book, I would sort of pop my head up over a martini and be like, oh, did you know that that so many refugees from Pompeii went to Amalfi, they got a tax uh, break from the emperor? And you would say, that's very interesting. You should save that for the, pom- <laughs> the podcast, baby. That's, that's podcast stuff. And I was like, okay, I will. And I wrote it down and here we are. Bookmark it. Yay. Um, so first I'm going to tell you about my sources. This book, which I have, as you can see, I'm handing it to my husband. It is the complete Pompeii by Thames and Hudson. It's got lots of pictures. And this goes through everything from what daily life was like in Pompeii to the discovery, to the science of the eruption. It's great. And I've put little um, post-its in all the real sexy pictures. Uh, Two questions. Mm -hmm. Why is there like a train conductor on the cover dressed in like turn of the century like, okay. like a British train conductor. Sure. Well, that's because this has been a tourist destination for centuries. I don't think he's necessarily a train conductor, but sure perhaps like you're it. noticing a British mid-19th century sort of costume, which would make sense. There were tourists then visiting the place. It's a weird thing to put on the cover of your complete Pompeii book. I'm just going to... I don't know if they're still taking notes. I'm sure they are. Why don't I'll we... We'll email Thames and Hudson. Hudson. I watched some documentaries that were real sexy. There's um, a lot of cool people that like to talk about Pompeii online. And I read some very cool scientific journals. We will have links uh, to those on our Instagram. You can go and check them out and see, like, there's, like, cool photographs from, like, 1860 and the 1930s. It's very very cool. So here's my plan for the hilfing of Pompeii, my darling. I'm listening. Um, First, I'm going to explain what is Pompeii. For those people who are like, this sounds like a place I should know what this is, I'm going to give you the very kind of quick and dirty what the fuck so you know why we give a shit. Then I'm going to go through the eruption girl, a la Titanic. I've found uh, some incredible sources that can really piece together what that day, the two days, was like when Vesuvius first blew up, what it looked like, what it felt like. And then we're going to go through some of my favorite, the most amazing, sexy, interesting discoveries that they made in the Pompeii site. Does it include the picture of Miss Fella here with a 
um, support bracket for his hog. He's got a dick. I'm, my husband's looking at a picture of this guy. He's, his dick is so big, it goes past his knees, and you'll notice there, darling, he's weighing it on a scale. Oh, that's what it is. He's weighing it against a, um, a mean, pile of money there. See how much it's worth. Good for him, but that is an ugly... It's an ugly dick, but ugly dick. sometimes... I mean, size matters, but ugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is Pompeii? Pompeii. It is a current town. It exists on a map. It has about 25,000 people in it, and it's a lovely little town in Italy. People are not going to hang out in Pompeii. If you say to Google, even if you Google Maps, hey, take me to Pompeii, it's going to be like, you mean like Pompeii? Or do you mean like Pompeii, Pompeii? Because most people are going to the ancient archaeological site just outside the existing city of Pompeii, in which almost 3 million tourists visit that place every year. Which seems crazy because it's really the entrance is like smaller than a strip mall. And people who've never stepped foot in a museum and who don't give a shit about history will raise an eyebrow when you start talking with any depth about Pompeii. It captures the imagination. And one of the main reasons why is the bodies. Mm -hmm. The bodies. Because as Melby said, Vesuvius, it wasn't just that Vesuvius destroyed these cities when it erupted. It's the way it destroyed them. Those hot gases and ash came down the mountain. People were sort of frozen in time. It was this snapshot. And the ash fell so fast that it's a time capsule. It is fucking amazing. So it did like stop in mid-motion. Because they don't... I didn't see any people there. Mm-hmm. We're rocking through this hot hell hole. Yeah. And I say, where are the, where are the bodies? Where are the things you know, that you come to see? Yeah. And they're there, but they're not like out in the plate in the city. They're like under glass, of course, like yeah. in a crowded ass museum part of it. <clears throat> All worth it. But I just sort of expected like sort of walk through this place, you know, sort of like a zoo. Yeah. You know, and there's like exhibits along the way in the city, and it's right. just that you're sort of walking around, you know. Yeah. Knocked no, over all pillows of the bodies. Pers- yeah, all of the the basic when you walk in, it is very much just like floorboards and shallow walls. All of the really cool stuff, with the exception of a couple of frescoes that are still on the walls, murals and stuff, everything has been removed. And out of necessity, Mm -hmm. because there was just even glass. I mean, you felt that, like, you know, nothing can survive out there. Once it was exposed from the ash, it's like a ticking clock, right? Here's what happened to the residents of this city on the day of the eruption. And it's crazy how prevalent Vesuvius is pretty much everywhere in southern Italy. Like, it is it is the most prominent thing in the background. So it's really easy to imagine, especially once you've been there, that um, Vesuvius shoots something up. It Everybody notices. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to tell you that the, um, the sources for this, what happened on the day of the eruption, come from two primary sources. One is a guy named Pliny the Younger, who witnessed it himself, and his adopted uncle, Pliny the Elder, was there. Um, so some of it we're hearing from his first person account, and then it's all backed up and kind of augmented by the scientific record. So we can kind of see what happened next when no one was around. Okay. So the morning of the explosion, the morning of the eruption is fairly pleasant. We believe it was a day in August. So not around the same time that we were there. Um, but that is in some people always dispute back and forth. Oh, I guess it's September. There were some coins found and some seeds and whatever, but it's give or take fall. And at about 11 a.m., there is a shot of white steam from the top 
of, of Mount Vesuvius. The Pliny family is in their house about 18 miles away from Pompeii, and they see it right away and are like, holy shit. Pliny the Younger is a writer. Pliny the Elder is the guy who wrote Natural History, which is the he's the father of the encyclopedia. He's into botany and zoology, and he's written a ton of shit, but the only thing that exists in its entirety is this natural history. And he has one of the best IPAs named after him in the country. And let's not forget how many great day buzzes you can get under his While office. thinking of him. It's a, it's a primo honor. I'm sure he would have been delighted by Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and there's been some, a couple of earthquakes. And one of the first things, this is what fascinated me, one of the first things that everyone is like stunned by is Vesuvius is a volcano? They didn't know it was a volcano. It was just a mountain. It had not erupted in 700 years. So, you know, a first shock. This white hot steam lasts for give or take an hour, and at noon, there's another big felt visible explosion of more ash. It would have gone from like white steam to like a dark cloud, and in that cloud is ash and pumice, a really like light porous stone. And at this point, Pliny the Elder, who is a scientist and a writer and a scholar and has got a ton of money and has got a ton of votes, is like, what's going on over there? As he's got his boat together and he's heading down to shore, he gets an urgent message from a friend of his who lives in one of the villages between Pompeii and another village you're going to hear me talk about, Herculaneum, who is like, shit's real. We need help. We need escape. Some, some of our ships are already on fire or sinking because of the stones. Rescue immediately. So he goes from curious scientist to like urgent rescue mission and heads to Vesuvius. While he's setting sail, and for the next several hours, this ash and this pumice continues to come down at a rate of six inches an hour. So for those of us who have lived in winter climates and can imagine snow, which I think is probably the closest thing to imagine in your mind is some kind of snow, is six inches an hour is fucking fast. Mm -hmm. And you woke up and just realized that Vesuvius is a volcano and this is happening with every hour it gets harder to open a door. It gets harder to pull a cart down the street. It's, you know, and the roofs start to get heavy and start to collapse. And the sky is dark, dark, dark. And what light does come through is red, red, red. I mean, what do you do? I mean, what would you do? I mean, do you run? Do you hide? Do you try to get your shit? What do you do? Yeah, I definitely leave. Especially after the first bout of ash falls, I'm out of there. I know you can only walk and like who knows how far, but I'm not gonna. I don't see the situation getting better. I'm not blaming anyone that stayed. No. But I'm definitely I'm a hoofer. I'm You're hoofing it. Oh yeah. 100%. And here's and here's the thing. There was a huge earthquake 16 years earlier in in 64 A.D. A lot of Pompeii was destroyed by a massive earthquake. And they had already experienced the buildings falling down. So there was a certain amount of like, it's just safer out of town. Like mm -hmm. whatever's going on here, the building isn't going to fall on you. And you're not going to get trapped in the street. So just get out of town. So everyone, you know, as many people as could, obviously did. Pliny the Elder gets to the shores to go and save his friends. And, and like I said, it was hours and hours and hours. And not every place experienced the same amount of fall at the same time. He gets to his friend. I believe the friend he actually went to rescue got on a boat and got out, but Pliny the Elder dies. There is enough hot, poisonous gas. He goes down to the shore and is carried by friends and ultimately dies. They, they find his body the next day. He had suffocated in the ash and the gas. 
And Pliny the Younger and his mom, in the meantime, are sitting here 18 miles away. And at first it looks like one of those, oh no, that looks really terrible. I hope everyone's okay. It is getting a little closer. It is getting a little closer. And even the people in their town, which is not far from Naples, but closer to Vesuvius, start to get like, we got to go. Like, we should go. And he, at one point, gets scolded by a guy who walks by. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Get the, you know. Mm-hmm. So he starts to go. And this is the scene that he describes as the ash starts to fall, even just in minuscule amounts compared to, obviously, what happened in Pompeii. You could hear the shrieks of women, the wailing of infants, and the shouting of men. Some were calling their parents, others their children or their wives, trying to recognize them by their voices. People bewailed their own fate or that of their relatives, and there were some who prayed for death in their terror of dying. Many besought the aid of the gods, but still more imagined there were no gods left, and that the universe was plunged into eternal darkness forevermore. And that's from a fucking guy who went home at the end of the day and was like, cleaned his bed off and was like, that was scary. Yeah, that's not great. Not great. Not into that. So bad, bad, bad darkness at about four... A.M., 6 a.m., the second day, anyone who was still alive in Pompeii, who had survived a falling building, who had managed to stay on top of the ash, who was still breathing, um, had the final blow, which is this pyroclastic blast of hot, hot gas, like 750 degrees hot gas, just basically freezes you in place, turn liquefies your body and at the same time covering you with 10 more feet of ash and poof now in the following days of course you've got a couple more earthquakes you've got some refugees you've got people who are like holy fucking shit vesuvius blew up those cities then a few weeks go by then months years centuries go by and just to give you some context about how much time goes by if you you got your ass pyroclasted down there in Pompeii and there's 20 feet of ash above your frozen body. You've got Rome falling. You've got the Goths invading about in 250 AD. In the 400s, there were a few more explosions and a few more layers of ash come down. Then you've got the Dark Ages. That's about 500 years. Then Columbus, Galileo. I mean, you know what I mean? Like literally the tides of history turning above you. In 1709... Dude is digging a well for his new beautiful vineyard down there in lovely southern Italy. And his bucket brings up marble and a little piece of a statue. Mm. But he descends down into the hole, this I cannot imagine, and finds himself inside the theater of Herculaneum. Uh, Herculaneum is a small village outside of Pompeii, beautiful architecture, you know, the ancient, gorgeous opulence of Rome. And he's like, holy shit, and he takes the marble, he sends up a bunch of statues, of course, sells them, gives them to all the important people. And I'll spare you some of the history, we don't have time to go over, but Italy at this time, it's the Spanish, and then the French rule it, and then the Austrians are in charge of part of it, and then the French come back, and then different parts of Austria, and it's all, and all of this kind of, people are trading Pompeii, but already, there's tourists, right? So you could, for the right price, with your lady friend, get a torch, and follow some guy down there, and be like, this ancient, hidden city, this, you know, buried underground. And then in 1860... Italy unifies, 
And we got some Italians up in this site, mm -hmm. finally, right? And a guy I think you're really going to like, his name is Giuseppe Fiorelli. Brilliant. Our buddy Giuseppe is in charge. And here's what Gi uh, Giuseppe does. He gets, first of all, you pay a fee to visit this place. That's right. Which on the one time, on the one hand, you're like, oh, it's, it's good. But it means anyone can pay a fee, sure. right? Because these fucks were paying somebody to get down there anyway. Right. And now it's like, you pay me. And the money goes into the archaeological site. How did he take it over? Was this like, did this, that this became state property at that point? It's fascinating. The guy who was sort of in, in charge of Unified Italy, which is Garibaldi, he's given out jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So, I, all right, Unified Italy, now all this stuff is our responsibility. You're the guy in charge of Pompeii, which is actually really interesting because the first guy that he put in charge of Pompeii is Alexander Dumas, who is the French author of The Three Musketeers and The Man in the Iron Mask. It's a real small world out there. Yeah. And everyone was like, hmm, -mm, he's French. And they were like, I know, but he's good French. He like gave us a bunch of weapons to help fight the bad French, the Bourbons. And they were like, yeah, but he's still French. He can be in charge of Pompeii. Get the fuck out of here. No. I immediately was felt for my man with the winery. Yeah. You know, he's just like thinking, it's 17 blue. Yeah. I'm going to just grow grapes and make some wine. N no one's mad at me. I'm just making wine in a hill. Who hates wine on and a hill? And then he's like, oh, look, an ancient city. Fuck. Fuck. Because now, you know, eminent yeah. domain, someone's taking this. You can't absolutely. just, like, continue to grow grapes on top of this thing. No, so absolutely I want to know what, you know. Absolutely. Point. And, like, King Charles, they were like, hey, lovely, lovely statue. Yeah, he's got go mm. to go up the hill further. Yeah. I'd it's like to give like, that to my daughter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This dude, I mean... Yeah. So now, and and they couldn't really. It's my understanding is they never really got a lot of that early stuff back, but at least as of 1860, it's Italy's, and they can kind of make it a historical site and not just like parse it out to rich people. He starts to set up like an archaeological school, and here's the clincher: is our buddy Giuseppe gets them plaster casts. So Pompeii's all and Herculaneum already sexy as fuck because they're just hidden, ancient. You know, centuries-old cities that have been buried under ash forever, and there's wealth, and there's treasures, and this is great. And they know there's these mounds. They find these mounds of things. The way I imagine it is kind of like the eggs in Alien, right? Mm -hmm. There's these mounds. And sometimes, and they at first they were thinking, oh, sure, a bunch of ash probably fell on like a something rich, a vase or some statue or something. And they open, and there'd be nothing in there. It'd be a hollow shell. Mm -hmm. Or there'd be like some organic kind of fragments at the bottom, and they were like, ah, it's nothing. But our buddy Giuseppe used to be a numismatist. Pop quiz, Melby. Do you know what a numismatist is? Um, I would say something to do with a specific aspect of mathematics. That sounds, makes sense. Numa. Yeah. Um, it is kind of, it is somebody who studies coins, but more specifically, mm. Giuseppe made uh, casts of coins. So Buddy's already... That's a made-up job. A numismatist? No, yeah, I had to know it's not. I looked it up and I had to write out, out how you pronounce casts it. Casts of coins. Who casts of that? coins, sure, because you got to make, you know. You, They're yeah, coins, but... just let them be. <laughs> you you got to cast them. No, you got it because whose face is on it and what year is on it. How much is it worth? You have to put your image on a coin. He was one of the people who figured uh, out how to make casts I, I of see. coins. He, I, I thought he was just like dipping them bad boys to preserve them. I'm like, no, he's making, no, he I was, see. he, he's he was a new prince. So he's a coin guy who it's knows how printer. to make, how to, how to make, yeah, cast. So you can have your king or your emperor. That makes or much your more sense. Whoever. Yeah. So he's a numismatist. And so he's already got that part of his brain that's like, well, you could probably fill it with something and see what was in there, right? Mm -hmm. So they fill the little tiny hole. They fill it with plaster. They let it dry. 
they peel the plaster off and it isn't just that they see the shape of a human body inside. They see the expression on their faces. You can see the way their hands are twisted together. In some instances, you can see the clothes that they're wearing. It is absolutely incredible. Here is an eyewitness in 1893 who watched Giuseppe make one of these first plaster casts. It is impossible to imagine a more affecting scene than the one suggested by these silent figures, nor have I ever heard of a drama so heartrending as the story of the family in the last days of Pompeii. Oh, oh, I just think it's so fucking great. So here's just to give you perspective. So the population of the city of Pompeii, when Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD, was about 11,000. They discovered about 1,100 victims, which if, if that's representative of how many people were there when it all fell to shit, that's, that's pretty good. That mm-hmm. means that most of the vast majority of the people did exactly what you said you'd do, which is get the fuck out of there yeah, as quickly as 100%. they could. Yep. Um, of the 1,100 human remains that they found, they made 86 plaster casts, and that includes a dog and some horses. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you about some of the most interesting figures to have emerged from those plaster casts. Terrifying. Gross, right? Super gross. It's not... Sad. Not for me. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Do you, are you glad you didn't know this when you were there? Or are, do you think you would have kept it in your back pocket and felt differently? No, I would definitely would have preferred to know it. It would have, you know, put a perspective around my bitching on the heat. You are very well behaved. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon? Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel? What's the best Disney song? We Got This with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this. Introducing my mom and dad, Don Brody and Melby. Yeah. <laughs> my friends, before we jump back into the most remarkable discoveries from Pompeii, a request to please show the pod some love and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It's this stuff, man, that raises eyebrows and gives us the algorithms that ensure we're fucking history long into the future. (laughs) Also, a reminder that you can see pictures of all the plaster casts and art we discuss and find links to my research on our Instagram, at Hilf Podcast. And while you're there... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow! looking at there seems to be a glossary or an index of the various options you have for coitus Mm. in the pompeii um of the day lots of options lots of options we have more today but this is pretty advanced pretty advanced pretty pretty forward yeah um, and fairly it seems fairly uh, equitable as well yeah did you do you remember when you first heard about pompeii when it first entered your consciousness Oh, I'm sure it was like high school social studies, but yeah, you know, I understood the basics. I feel like even your like head down, just like 
feverishly coloring in your Metallica like logo on the cover of a notebook, you kind of cock an eyebrow when the teacher's like, and then. Yeah, I mean, if you're like a metalhead or something, especially that's pretty metal. Yeah. You know, yeah, sky full of ash and uh, frozen bodies, I think, is a Metallica line. Is it? I'm sure it is. I, you know what it probably is. I mean, Iron Maiden, all that stuff. I'm sure they have a song of stupid about There's Pompeii. Like, yeah. This band's terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't, <gasps> you don't like Metallica? I think Metallica's fine, but they just, like, I think when they they had to go to the well for stuff to fill out an album, they're like, just write a song about Pompeii. And I was like, all right, what are we going to do? And it's like, basically just say what happened in Pompeii, but, like, with metal. It's like, yeah, that but that's stupid. kind of like, I basically say what happened in Pompeii, but with the F word. Yeah, this is a podcast. This is a discussion. This, this is not music. It's different. Mm. I think it's corny when people talk about history things. That's ah, not a good blanket. Strike it from the record. I strike it from the record. Just, no one, will, I, no one I, needs to hear this. I it's stopped. a bad take. It's a bad take. It's a bad take. Here's what. Here's what I'll say about Metallica, which is what we're here to talk about. And this yeah. is. I'm gonna, not going to make a lot of friends here. All right. My favorite Metallica is the Metallica with the orchestra. So that should tell you everything you need to know. But about. don't you feel like an orchestra? is the musical version of them talking about Pompeii. It's metal combined with something sort of elevated and sophisticated. No, not at all. Because all right. it's, it's sonically, it's fantastic. I don't know. I, I was the same. I Enter was Sandman. So, I, I know. It was like, it was like a, a, I loved bad poetry and talking about my feelings. So Enter Sandman was my like, oh. No, listen, I think they're good. And there's Metallica comes on. I'm into it. But I think sometimes it's all it's all a little corny. It's just like... It's all very like, I don't know, because I don't mind it in literature or in films, but in music, it's like, God, you're taking yourself so seriously with like, just like, never, never learned. Like, okay. I, don't, I don't know, fella. You all right. Know, like, and your bassist or your drummer sucks. Yeah. Lars. All right. My God. This has been, I didn't know. Speaking of, you know, the guy dug as well and brought up marble. I feel like I just dug a well and brought up some unexpected treasures myself. I don't hate Metallica. I'd, I'd have a Metallica vinyl around for the odd occasion, but I'm not. You were not the kid writing in the no. notebook. What no, was on I the cover? What, what, what band were you coloring in the oh, logo? Was, for? I mean, it was equal. It was just a different generation of band. It was like corn. Sure. Um, a lot of punk stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, refused, you know, a bunch of obscure shit that yeah. everyone's just gonna be like, "What is that?" It's not. I know. think I was writing myself love letters from imaginary vampires. So it's we're pretty much saying the same <laughs> thing much, here. We're, we're basically doing the same thing. Um, do you want to hear about these naked dead dudes or what? Yeah, sure. All right, so here's. Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so these are these are my. I don't know. I, I don't want to put my my plaster cast dead people. Mm in any sort of hierarchy. Like, they're all devastatingly depressing and they're all beautiful in their own way. But I'm starting with the Garden of Fugitives. You're gonna find that from here on out, as I describe the discoveries, the amazing discoveries that they found once they've continued to ex- uh, explore Pompeii and Herculaneum, there are some crazy names, the way the archeologists and the various people have discovered these places, because they were sort of making it up. You know, this seems like a garden. They Maybe they found a fragment of a name, so they just name it after a name, or maybe they see a picture of a god on the wall, so it's like the Dionysus room or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is called the Garden of Fugitives, but nothing that I read indicated that the victims found there were implied to be prisoners or in any other way sort of identified as fugitives themselves. And there was this one particular guy who was sort of in charge of the plaster casts for about a decade named Miorelli, 
who everything that he wrote to describe the plaster cast is impossibly imaginative. Like, he would be like, the mother already weakened from childbirth. No, and you're like, you it's a female with a child. And like, I am a mother with a child, but like my child can be with a lot of other women. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He kind of, he made a lot of leaps is what I'm saying in He's terms of implying what people yeah, were doing. Dramatic. But what else are you going to do? Right. The Garden of Fugitives was an area that was discovered near a back gate. And this guy, Miorelli, I'm wondering, who knows how accurate he was. Some of the things he said make a lot of sense, which is this was a large group of people. It was one of the largest groups of people discovered together. And it appears that they were in a group trying to get over this back wall. Mm. They were on top of already a sizable amount of ash. So they had already managed to keep on top of the ash, to not get dis hit by a falling building, to not be stuck in a building when it collapsed, to not be run over by a wagon. Like, they're doing pretty good. Like, for watching the action film of The Garden of Fugitives, we're, we're rooting for them. Um, the merchant is the guy who's sort of leaning up on his arm, and I encourage, of course, all of you to go and check us, check out um, these pictures because I'm going to describe them as the best I can. But imagine um, a, a man made out of stone who's sort of climbing out. He's got he's resting his weight on his elbow of one hand, and you can see his face is up. He is one of the only plaster casts in which the face is aimed up because mm. almost everyone was covering their face or laying down on their stomach and trying to cover their face in their last moment um, when their position was finally frozen. This guy is actively in the middle of a climb. It's like he's reaching for someone. He, um, One of his arms is broken, and they believe that it happened that day. It was. It either happened while they were trying to escape, or it happened shortly after um, he died. And his compressed bones make them believe that he was a laborer and some kind of merchant. A few bodies down from there, there is a mother holding a child. There are two other children near her, two boys. One is five, one is two. And then there's a second family, a, a presumed family. It's a man and a woman with a young child that is 12 to 14 months old and the youngest uh, victim that they discovered in the remains. And then a teenager, they call him the servant, but that's just because he's carrying a bag full of stuff. So who knows? I, um, I'd like to think I'd be a man of science if I were that, but I, I don't know how you're not just like God hates us. Yeah. This is God's wrath. I definitely, I, I get it. I'd be like, well, you can't explain this. I'm sure. well being frozen. Well, and let's look at the time too. I mean, this is 79 AD. So Christianity exists and people are starting to figure out Jesus, how you're going to describe hell and the end of the world. It. He and just he, missed he it. He just missed it. Tarnit. He would have had a heyday with this one. Oh, yeah. Talk about miracles. And like, you're welcome. That, that was my dad. She's pissed. That was my dad. He's a real my, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these guys, now they weren't found. The picture that you're probably going to see is the way that the fugitives are laid out in the in the site right now. That's not the way that they were necessarily found. As we pointed out earlier, all of these remains had to be removed from the excavation site. If you go and follow our links, though, you can see pictures of them as they were discovered. They were found at all various decades and sometimes even centuries. So the photographs of the site vary, but um, it is fascinating. Okay, the next plaster casts I want to show you. Oh, honey, look. They're so sweet. They're the lovers. Um, two adults laying on their sides, facing each other. One of them has their head sort of pressed into the chest of the other one, and their arms are kind of intertwined. 
This, of course, was labeled at first the lovers. Mm-hmm. Our buddy Murelli was again like, you can tell this is a female because of her shapely legs. Mm-hmm. And this is long before they had the ability to actually like scan them and test bones and such. You know, so they were named the lovers, and everyone immediately was like, clearly they were love- they were probably running away together, young and passionate, and they couldn't they couldn't go with their parents. The parents wouldn't allow you know, and. Um, then they were like, did the, did the proper testing, and they were like, okay, so one of them's definitely a woman. And then they were like, no, they're both men. So then, of course, the narrative has to switch immediately. We can't just see two men in an embrace like this in any century since we've discovered... They're fighting. One of them stole an apple. <laughs> Somebody, this guy is having a bad tussle with his, with his brother. Just and they were like, wrestle. no, they're not related. It's not a father-son, and they're not in any way related. So there's just two unrelated young men in an embrace that seem to be universally one of endearment. The bachelor farmer of Pompeii. Yeah, we just don't know. Nobody... And it, it's so... Proof yet again in so many other arenas how like even when you portend to be wish you were think you are an objective scientific mind you go well I don't know what's happening there and instead like in what century in what date present or future will we be able to just be like two human beings in the midst of their own mortality cling to each other how's that yeah I mean it works but but they, we can't. We gotta know. Yeah, we gotta we know who's know. fucking who and what their proclivity. It's, what their proclivity is. It's, um, it's my second question. Entering a room. That's probably why you're not good at small talk. Because you go, what's everyone's who's sexual? Who's fucking pro- who? <laughs> have you two ever fucked though? Like you're not fucking now, but have you ever fucked before? I don't care much for these babies. I gotta be honest. I don't. You know, ever since having a kid, I don't have much of a stomach for this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's hard. He's he's looking at the family. And this is the family picture that I brought up is the one that we saw when we went into the exhibit. If you remember, we actually waited in line with a bunch of hot other people and walked down these graded steps and went into a building where there were the figures. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this. And we saw this one. We I remember picture. the fella or the person yeah. rocking back and forth there. We I think a, I saw the, the baby from far away and actively avoided it. Yeah, because have, I have a picture of Beatrice, my baby, looking at the dead baby, and it was all very dark. So hot. So hot. So dark. But they don't have this, air conditioning that very well no. in uh, lots of Europe, which is part of the reason it's a big problem yeah. <clears throat> when yeah. you're over there. And it's uh, it's a cool 80 inside it is such a predicament to be a uh, deeply deeply interested in the history profoundly personally moved by the devastating scene you are seeing of a mother father and young child being torched to death on this very spot that you're standing with a bunch of people also in sort of a somber like we're in church sort of mood and just thinking to yourself i'm suffering too much yeah, this is too much for me. This is go. too much. I am having undue suffering. I need a drink. I gotta go. I need a drink. Um, yeah, the folks that we looked at, it, it again, if you're plastering a storyline, and one can hardly help it, it appears to me a man and a woman, they're both on their backs with their arms up. One of them has a child resting on her chest, and the child is rearing up and appears to be reaching out toward the other adult who appears to be reaching up and out to that same child. As if in the very last moment of pain and agony, they all just went, come here, let me come to you. And mm. that, and then there's one sad little child all by itself next to them looks about, oh, I don't know the age of our child. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. Frozen forever in a moment of panic, fear, agony, and death. Now let's look at the dog. Mm. 
if it's not quite hurting enough. There's the dog on its back. You can see its collar. Oh my god, it has a collar. Yeah. You can see its teeth and its toes and its little collar. So, I don't know, like, that's like the, the pose in which our dog finds most relaxing. So this Speaking of somebody finding themselves most relaxing, I've just uh, shown my husband the picture of perhaps my favorite plaster cast person. A nice way to put a button on this whole section here. <laughs> He's... When did you get this picture of me? <laughs> Can you guess what the archaeologists have named this friend? Sir uh, Cranks a lot. <laughs> Cranks is Maximus. Hold on, I got more. Oh. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go wild, baby. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll work it. There's some pasta mm-hmm. jokes. You know what I mean? Like There's some in, hard as a rock. Yeah, it, he's this like guy, working here's, his here's lo- our friend. Luke and the linguine. I don't, you know. Here's what, here's what I'll tell you about this guy. That. He's laying on his back. One leg straight out. One leg is bent. One arm it seems to be in recline with his elbow rested down, and the other hand firmly affixed around his cock. And his head is sort of elevated, and uh, I don't know, his expression, I've seen worse. I, I looked at a lot of these dead guys, and I'm telling you, this face, I've seen worse faces in this face. I can't imagine. It's all coming down, and you're just like, let me just crank one out quick. I mean, it, it seems to be the biggest question. Now, <laughs> the first question when you look at Sir Masturbator is... Is this guy jerking off in the middle of is 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 the hot pyroclast about to cook him seven hundred and fifty degree poisonous no gas? Way. And he laid down and was like, I know exactly what to do. I think that like or, a, something fell on him. Something fell on him. Or I mean, every you know, the ones you see their bodies are all contorted because this gas had some sort of p- possible neurological sort of factor in that last minute. Yeah, there's a neurological thing that caused him to move his hand. And like what a bummer. I mean, it's been two thousand years. This dude. And this guy's it was just, just a forever. it's a spasm. It was just a spasm. A That's spasm. what he's yelling. It was a spasm. He do you think this is so terrible. In his like well, last seconds he was just like, They're gonna think I was and then <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's fleeting the fleeting feeling of amazing just, just it's like the it's the pompeii equivalent of your porn drawer after you die you know yeah. like you gotta you can't have these i say the same magazines because no. that's the funnier example but <clears throat> you need to clean your clean your history out don't be the pompeii guy don't be the people. pompeii guy or you gotta be like did did the universe and all of its unfair devastation that day at least let this guy come before you know did it was there because he seems fairly content but he also seems pretty in the throes of it there that's not a man in repose no <laughs> no the very tense yeah yeah but these are these are yet some of the mysteries and listen this guy fits right in though because as you pointed out in the book there are dicks all over pompeii pompeii in addition to these amazing dead people and the art and the sculptures and the marble and the architecture and all of these ancient... Because keep in mind, anytime you find anything from the ancient classical era, people, historians, nerds like me, are going to lose their fucking shit because we lost the vast, vast, vast majority of writing and art from these many centuries. They were lost by natural disasters. They were lost by wars. They were lost by later <clears throat> Christians who just destroyed and burned and deliberately tried to erase a lot to of this stuff from our history. So when we find, and there are some scrolls, they appear to be, it seems impossible, but they can actually sort of maybe see inside and get some fragmented writing from these scrolls. It's all very exciting. But there is a lot of sex 
all over Pompeii. It's in the art. It's in p- private homes. It's in public houses. It's on street facades. As my daughter said, walking through Italy, they love butts. We used to live in a society, apparently. You know, obviously, a bunch of prudes came through. But and listen, like, you but, can't do this. No, we but check this out. This. You want to know who the biggest prudes were? This is one of my favorites. Were the prudes who went down in that initial well bucket in the 1700s, okay? Mm-hmm. We're talking King Charles III. He is king, technically, of Italy when all of this stuff first comes up. And they are like, Your Majesty, there's a lot of spat down. There. I mean, you can't get away from it. The boobs, butts, penises, and erotic explicit sex acts are there's, all over. Yeah, there's penetration. This all is real. over Pompeii. So do you know what they did? They had a literal, get this, in the 1700s, they literally put it in the closet. They took the art off the walls without any real regard for preservation, these fucks. They cut the stones off the wall. They took the nastiest statues and the most like disturbing images, mm-hmm. and they made it forbidden. And the only people who could ever see it were, were men, of course, and men with like position. And they had to have like a really important reason sure. to like go look at it. It's just so devastating as a historian that they would have compromised these artifacts because they cover their women's ankles. You know? God. This is, uh, what are these things they say? I, Felix, you fuck well. Oh, yeah. Phoebus oh. the perfect. Wait, no, I'm going to get to that. Oh, yeah, sorry. that's the graffiti. Oh, baby, you found my oh, favorite it's bathroom, part. It's the bathroom stall. Yeah, you found my favorite. Because they, they could preserve, right, so much of this stuff. And, like, a lot of it is what is on the walls, like the graffiti you're reading. But also check this out. Um, let's see. Oh, I want to show you. Go to the page. Um, there we go. Okay, my darling, I have directed you to a page with a specific erotic image. This is from the house of Centenary. It is the Forbidden Chamber. So they would often have, like in Pompeii, nudes were everywhere, but explicit sex acts in art were still generally private. They were in they were in rooms that you had to go through several rooms to get to. They were, you know, blocked off from the public. They were bedrooms. They were brothels, okay? Mm-hmm. This one was in the forbidden chamber of what they call the House of Centenary. It's a huge mural. mural. It is a picture of uh, two nude adults. The female is straddling the male. She appears to be grabbing his member and helping guide him in there while he watches. Is that what that is? That if you if you need me to say it slower, like we'll be right back. (laughs) And get this: in this room where that mural is, there's a peephole, so that someone outside of that chamber can observe. What goes on in that chamber, girl, the, the kanky. And you found the page with like all the sex acts where it's, you know, guy, two guys on girl. We got group. We got toys. We got gay. We got oral. We got all what like the Kama Sutra was like, oh, damn. Now there's mystery religions too, where there's kinky. Some of the kinkiest art you're going to see is in these cult religions. So it appears that Pompeii, and the areas around it were generally very religiously diverse. They were Roman, but they weren't like intolerant of the old Greek gods mm-hmm. because this Pompeii was already old in 79 AD. There were apparently settlements there, 800 BC. So this place had been around for a minute. And in my favorite one, it's called the Villa of Mysteries. I have it labeled there. Okay, they found this place in 1909. Look at the color 
colors of this mural. It is this deep, dark red background. They didn't do anything to like heighten these colors. It was mm-hmm. like how it looked when they exposed it. Dark, dark, beautiful red background. And it's life size. So if you walk into the room with these murals, yeah. the, the figures on the walls are you know the size of you. And it shows sort of panel by panel what they assume is the ritual of initiation into this secret cult. And they believe it is the cult of Dionysus, who is the god of wine and mystic ecstasy. I'm in. Hell, exactly. It attracts mostly women, but you're welcome. And there's pictures of it. You know, they're naked. They're getting whipped. They're getting washed. That's it's great. all very exciting. And here's like... There's a fellow with little elf ears playing a flute. Sure. that's That would be Pan. And the wonderful thing is... I was going to say a Pan is, flute, but I was self-conscious. You would have been correct. And that mural is so famous... That if you're a real nerd like me, and you're watching Sandman on Netflix, when the god of dreams goes to Hades and talks to Lucifer, Lucifer's chamber is painted with the exact portraits mm. from the Villa of Mysteries, which Sounds I was good. like, ooh, that was some good. That that was a nice little Easter egg for us nerds. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay, now you you saw the graffiti. Oh, Melvi. So graffiti is this perfect hilf for us, and especially in this podcast, because it's just exactly the kind of history I want to fuck. To see graffiti that was written in 79 AD at the latest, you know, most of this graffiti, some of it dates back to like 100 BC, is awesome because not only is it ancient writing, which I already told you, anytime you find any ancient writing, it's amazing. What makes it increasingly rare is that it's common people. These are people who were never going to have a scroll in a library, even if it didn't burn down in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? These are just your common people who are mostly writing logs of their thoughts. You're hearing the common language. It's so fascinating. So here's what blew me away. Some of this stuff is exactly what our kind of graffiti would be. So Gaius Pumidius Duplititus was here on the 3rd of October in the year when Marcus Lepidus had Quantus Catalus, and that apparently was 88 BC. Um, Augj loves Alitonius. Of course it does. Lucilla was making money from her body. (gasps) So basically, 2,000 years ago, we were like, I was here... I love this guy. Lucilla's a whore. Mm-hmm. Um, also, very much like Next Door. Here's the ones that sounded like ancient Next Door to me. A brass pot disappeared from this shop. Oh, my God. If anyone brings it back, they'll be rewarded. Um, another one said, I hate poor people. Anyone who asks for anything is a fool. Wow. Um, another one says, Marcellus loves Prestinia and is not loved in return. Oh. And another one said, Atinimus got me pregnant. So. Join the club. Now here's some, here's some that caught your eye, my most precious darling, that also were graffiti that helped solidify the fact that the areas they were scratched in were either brothels or sort of brothel adjacent, <laughs> right? Anyone who wants to fuck should ask for Addis, <laughs> okay? Um, I fucked many girls here. Great. Good, Good for you. Good job. Um, Felix... You fuck well. Can you imagine Felix walking up like, all right. Felix, especially now, 2,000 years later, it's like, go on, Felix. It's great feedback. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, ladies. Um, Phoebus the perfumer fucks the best. Take that, Felix. Like, all right, Phoebus. Phoebus comes around with his, with his etching tool. That fuck. 
Um, it's amazing. I just, I think it's... Gordo Pordenicus had a good fuck with whoever he wanted here. Jeez. Damn. Scordo. Watch out, Scordo's here. Right? This is Draca. I was fucked here. That's a pretty clear statement. You know, and you know, that fuck was, you're like, I, that fuck was great. I want everyone to know. I'm going to write this down. You don't even know who it is. Just, yeah. that's for you. That's, that's for you. That's you're like, you. I want to remember. Where did I get that good fucking? I don't, right oh, here. there it is. I made a thing. I mean, but this is what's so nuts is I feel like, especially once you get the further and further you get into Pompeii, it's impossible not to see a mirror. Like, it's a 2,000-year-old funhouse mirror. I'm seeing many images of myself on this page. Especially Mr. Ten-Foot Dick <laughs> getting weighed against coins. But, I mean, that's us. It's, it's everything. It's our bodies. It's our houses. It's our toilet stalls. Mm-hmm. It's our grievances. It's our taverns. And you just, like, you look at it, and you're like, well, it seems like literally ancient history, and it's exactly my town, and it begs the question, the question I want to ask you, what would you be as an artifact? Whether you want to imagine, and it's not hard for us to imagine at, in our day and age, a natural disaster. I mean, you and I live above the San Andreas Fault. It's fucking half a century overdue for the big one. And I think that we all maybe take a minute to imagine our room is suddenly dipped into a time capsule. And 2,000 years later, some archaeologist is digging us up. What conceptions about us do they get right or wrong? Because you can be found slumped over a copy machine. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be office man. <laughs> Nobody gives a fuck that you kayaked and brewed beer. You know what I mean? It's a guy who was having sex with a copier. It's like, fuck. But I think the same misconception. Are the copier? I don't know. I mean, I it depends on the archaeologist. If there's, what if like, it's found That's in like true. a future where like we're fucking robots? Like the only thing on that everybody's future head is, now, by the way. is it's everyone's not... like robophobia. And, and they can't help but look at you slumped over a copier through the lens of their own robophobia. There's an early adapter here. That's what they'd call it, an early adapter. They'd be like, this is, see, see, guys, it is natural. Because <laughs> even 2,000 years ago, people put their dicks in there. Earliest adaptus. <laughs> Focus Xeroxes. Right. <laughs> but then there's also the kind of artifacts that are like the sad present day reality, which is your sister has to go through your goddamn hard drive sure. and try to piece together who you are based on your journal entry. And you're like, well, she, I only wrote when I was pissed off. Yeah. You know, so of course everyone's going to think I'm mad, but I only ever sat down and wrote when I was so mad I couldn't stand it. And. You know, you. I, I feel like it sort of gives you an appreciation for how intricate and complicated everybody is and how mm-hmm. quick it is to oversimplify something because it fits into a category. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I'm going to answer that. I mean, like a hypothetical scenario. Like what would synthesize me or what would be most likely? Yeah, I don't know. Either one. I mean, there was this one guy, for example, one of the plaster casts, some guy, he was found with a sword. So he's the soldier. Just fighting it? Just... Yeah, no, he's he's just holding a sword. They're just like, he he's a dead guy with a sword, so he's the soldier. I I and see. I get like, yeah. oh, great. you know, or, the, or a woman with a child. You're the mother. Mm-hmm. But I think that that happens. We see it now in these historical snapshots. But I think we're doing that all the time. I think any time we see a f- woman with a child, we assume that's the mother. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like this sort of kind of extension of what we're all are already kind of false perceptions. Yeah. I don't know. What, I'm trying to think. I'd probably be in the kitchen to be like, cook us a 
pizzas. Cookies, pizzas. I will be probably, you know, there'll be a lot of cannabis around me. So they'll be like, That's she was, was made. I was going to let you get there by yourself. So I didn't. They'd be like, this was a, this, this woman loved cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I, and that would, I'd be like, well done, archaeologists. Correct. And they'd probably find me adjacent to you. This man loved this woman who loved cannabis. Yes. I think that we would make a lovely plaster cast family. I think we would. I think that people would love my shapely legs. <laughs> no, you know what? There's this one place I was researching for a while. It got me sort of in my cannabis philosophical. There's the House of Menander. And I was like, ooh. And it's like the most gorgeous estate in Pompeii. It is the biggest and richest house. They do not know who owned it. They assume all these things. Maybe a politician. They were obviously rich. They may be a trader. Like maybe they have no idea who lived in this house. But it is the wealth and the opulence of this place is incredible. And there were a couple of bodies found in like the back garden. That They make the presumptions. They had a little ring on. Maybe this person was a servant or whatever. And I was like, why do they call it the house of Menander if they didn't know who the fuck it was? Like what did, where did that name come from? And it was because there was a fresco and a mural of a poet Mm-hmm. named Menander and he exists and some of his poetry exists. So they just picked the one thing that they could name and named the whole house after it. Right. And it struck me that perhaps there was some justice in history that it doesn't matter who bought this house, who was the master of this house. Ultimately it is the art contained in it and the humans in the building that are ultimately remembered. You know, but then I was like, well, I don't want to be, then fuck it. I don't want to be remembered. I would like to, if I was in Pompeii, I would rather survive and be totally forgotten. Absolutely. It's definitely like, careful what you wish for. I wish everyone in the world will remember me. I want to be remembered for all of history. In 2000 years, I want them to be looking at my face and thinking about me. And you're like, okay, cool. Here's how that's going to happen. You're going to be burned in 750 degree hot torturous gas and then buried under ash, 20 feet of ash for several thousand years. And then the way they're going to look at you is in just like grief and um, you'll be like, oh. And then some idiots with microphones thousands of years later like what about jerk dumb, it off i think the guy's jerking off <laughs> yeah, that guy's that I guy was like you. right before he went he was like i will be remembered i will be remembered i'm I, not just gonna if it, to be fair if you're curled up you know or you're on your back yeah my man made a choice and it was a it was a choice it was a choice and people he stands out <laughs> he's he's and he's intended from oh, the crowd also like if any place needs a little comic relief it's fucking do you Pompeii. remember curl up person number three no, no because they're curled up person remember number no three. no remember they're covering their face they look really sad and like no, they're really no. hurt and his leg was you're know, like do you remember the no. guy grabbing his hog that's right i do and the dog and the dog, well, it's, yeah, it's because the dog's it's on his the dog. I will say this, though. If anyone's ass belongs in a museum, baby, it's that ass. Oh, goodness. Thank I you. hope it's not in a pyroclastic blast, but... <laughs> I've seen that movie. Anyway, we need to get that ass in a museum, girl. I'm be part of it. Also, a reminder that we need to upgrade our earthquake kit. <laughs> uh, we should make sure the batteries are good. And, and we stuff. need a generator. Okay. Hey. I love you somehow even more than I did an hour ago. I love you too. Great job. This was fascinating. Thanks, baby. Yuck.
<laughs> Nothing like a love fest at the end of the world, huh? Now, I hope you enjoyed sitting down with us and hilfing ancient history for a while. We have new episodes every other Wednesday, and if this one gave you nightmares, maybe the next one will help put them in Technicolor. <laughs> it's the history of horror movies with guest comedian and professional hacker Jose Barrientos. From silent film to nope, we'll talk about what scares us, why, and how it has changed over time. <laughs> Our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins and Eric Warner. And a reminder that you can find my sources, links to books, documentaries, and the articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. <laughs> this has been Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. <laughs>